I like to say, and I'm not, I didn't coin this phrase. I, I think, I don't remember who did, but you know, best case scenario, I, I have an encounter or find some evidence. Worst case scenario, I have a good time out in the woods camping and hiking. everybody welcome to the paranormal portal podcast i'm your host brent thomas thank you so much for joining us as always we appreciate all of you out there and thank you so much for your wonderful support and remember if you've got an experience and you'd like to be a guest on the show please reach out to me you can reach me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com So we've got an epic show for you guys today. Uh, this is our first time guest. Uh, well, this is his first appearance on the show. He's a, a pro in his own right as far as podcasting goes, as he's the creator and host of Alasquatch Podcast. Our, our guest today is Larry Beans Baxter, who is not only a podcaster, but he's an active researcher as well into the Bigfoot encrypted phenomena. And uh, he is a published author with his book, Abandoned, the history and horror of Port Chatham, Alaska. And uh, we're going to talk to him now. So let's dive right in. Hey, Beans, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. This is really cool. And uh, I'm really excited to have you on. You and I met, I guess, at Medellin Falls uh, at the conference up there. But I did listen to you speak up there, and, and it was inc- a really fascinating uh, discussion and, and presentation that you gave. But I got to ask you, and this is kind of the, it's kind of the generic opener, but, but, uh, I, I guess every journey has a, has an origin, but how did you get started in all this? Was there an event or is just always a, a, a hobby of yours or where did this begin? I can't say, I mean, I don't think I had a specific origin story. Okay. Uh, it's something that I've always, always kind of been interested in, uh, ever since I was a kid, I've always been interested in, uh, this you know, strange and unexplained things. Um, you know, growing up, I read, I grew up a, next to a library and I read all the books on Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, any kind of, mon- the Crestwood Monster books, if you remember those, I would just devour those things and I was always intrigued by them. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, it just stuck with me as I grew up. You know, I guess a lot of people probably, a lot of kids had go through a monster phase and grow out of it. And I never really did. Um, <laughs> That's you know, true. I, I always just, I kept, you know, kept up on it. I would always read, uh, like fate magazine, 40 in time, stuff like that. Um, almost always all through my life. I had either a subscription or I'd pick them up when I found them. And it's just something that's kind of stuck with me. And, you know, I ended up in Alaska. Uh, the military sent me up here mm-hmm. and, uh, I just kind of, by, default just kind of started uh, gravitating towards Bigfoot because that's probably the the most uh, uh, widely seen cryptid up here. And I think that's probably the one that has the biggest, um, I think the biggest possibility of being found and, mm-hmm. and, you know, being able to see one myself is, is a Bigfoot. And uh, that's kind of where I've uh, concentrated my efforts, and it's something that just fascinates the hell out of me. You know, I just love reading about it, love hearing people's stories about it, and it's just uh, something that I've always been interested in. And then, you know, events, things happen. You know, I'm in Alaska. I start hearing these stories. I start hearing about like, oh, well, you know, there were some sightings not too far from here. Uh, you know, I, I go out there. I start looking around. I, I, you know, I hear some strange things. I find some strange tracks, and then, you know, the next thing you know is my wife says I'm obsessed, and uh, <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Yeah. yeah, and it's fantastic too because I think, well, I guess as we were discussing just before the show, I think one of the biggest epiphanies for me was learning that it's such a global phenomenon. You know, that it's not just in the Pacific Northwest; that it's that it's everywhere. But there's a lot of reports coming out of Alaska, huh? Yeah, everybody, there's not a ton of, like, if you go to the BFRO database and look, there's not a ton in there, mm-hmm. maybe like 20, less than 20, something like that. Um, but if you go to the Sasquatch Tracker website and look at his info, that's uh, Michael Thompson. He's based up out of, um, I believe he's in Toke. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go and look at his files, he's got tons and tons of information on Alaska sightings up there. And there's just a ton of stuff on his website 
And uh, that's kind of the thing, you know, people, most people, most like everyday people that don't immerse themselves in the subject like we do, they don't know what to do when they have a sighting. They don't know that they should probably report it to somebody. You know, they might tell a friend or they might tell somebody more than likely they'll keep it secret because they don't want somebody to, to think they're crazy or ridicule them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you get out and you start talking to people, you find, especially up here, you know, everybody, they either have a story or they know somebody that has a story. Yeah. And, and of course I think, I think that it's gotten so much better in in, uh, our modern age, but there was quite a long time where people just didn't talk about these things at all. Like it was a, a social um, faux pas in order to, you know, start discussing Bigfoot because you'd be that guy then or that person. And I think that's one of the good, the good things that's come about in, in recent, recent history is that people finally, I think, know that they have a forum for that. And, and I think that's encouraging and maybe why we hear so many more reports now than ever before. Yeah, I think the stigma has been it's not gone, but it's it's definitely lifted. It's a little lighter than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are a little bit be- they feel a little bit better about coming forward. Um, you know, I, but if you go to uh, you know, a lot of uh non-cryptid forums and websites and and Facebook groups like hiking groups stuff like that and somebody mentions uh a odd encounter, there'll there'll be some people that that will, you know, They'll poke fun. They'll they'll post, uh, you know, X Files gifts and stuff like that. You know, and and <laughs> but so it's not it's not completely uh, safe, sure. I guess, to to come out of the paranormal <laughs> closet. But uh, it's better than it used to be. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is. But but then again, I think it's it's knowing that there's shows like like yours and and of course the portal here and so many other shows that are giving people a voice uh, to have these discussions. And I think probably. Uh, some of it is also as a result of like finding Bigfoot that there, you know, there was such a successful show, uh, regarding the topic and, and it, you know, had what over 10 years of, of seasons. Uh, I, I was really, uh, I used to love that show and not, not because I ever thought they were going to find Bigfoot, but, but I loved like the town hall part of it where they would talk to these people that had seen things. And that's where I fell in love with the idea behind it. And, and of course then would come to find Sasquatch Chronicles later after that and and listening to the, the encounters. But uh, you know, it it is, it it is one of those things that I I think a lot of people just, as you said, don't know what to do with it until they become, until they come face to face with it. It's like, it's kind of in people's minds, but maybe in the back of their minds or maybe as a, as a, a passing thing. But when people are brought face to face with it, I think that's, that's when the rubber hits the road on these, on these reports. What do you think? Yeah. And for, for people that aren't invested in, in the community that don't, I mean, they don't think about it all the time. It's just something, you know, I mean, there are people I'm sure that they'll be driving down the road and want to run out the road in front of them and they'll be like, well, that's kind of weird. And then they'll just keep going on with their day. You know, like, I guess it's real, you know, I'm going to go to Burger King and get something to eat now. And, um, you know, they're, they're, it just doesn't affect their paradigm at all. They're just like, Oh, okay. That's a thing now. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and then you have people that that happens to, and then they spend the rest of their life just consumed by it. You know, they want to sure. see it again, or they're trying to find out what they are and get answers. So, you know, it's, I guess if everybody was the same, the world would be a boring place, though. Amen, brother. Amen yeah. to that. So, so you had an interest in this growing up, and and of course, would as you stated, you 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 grabbed a hold of everything you could about uh, the topics. What? How did you get to the point where you decided, hey, I want to go investigate this. I want to go out and and see what I can find. Well, if I had one regret mm-hmm. to to voice about it, uh, it would be that I didn't start getting out sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only been actively going out for like the last seven, eight years, okay. something like that. Sure. Um, you know, I always would go out and hike and fish and, and, and enjoy the outdoors, but I never really got out and really looked around. Like it really took like a critical eye to, to what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that, uh, if people just kind of slow down a little bit and, and start looking They'll, they'll see things that they never noticed before and not everything is Bigfoot. You know, um, I find a lot of things I get really excited about and then I'll look at it and I'm like, Oh no, that's a bear tracker. That's this or that's mm-hmm. that. 
But uh, there's a lot of things that I find that I can't just explain away. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, just a short time, I've been doing it a relatively short time. You mm-hmm. know, I've been out on the ground in a relatively short amount of time. And uh, while I haven't necessarily found anything that's, you know, uh, a bombshell in the community or anything, I found quite a bit that was a bombshell to myself personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, you know, I think at the end of the day, I mean, that's that's my that's what I'm in it for is for myself. It's completely selfish reasons, you know. I want to, <laughs> I want to see one. I want to know that they exist. And then, you know, if I could, if I can get some kind of proof to to prove it to the world, that's great. But for right now, I'm going to focus on myself and and you know find out what I can find out. I'd just love to get some answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are a ton of people that. They've devoted, you know, the four horsemen that, you know, just put so much time and effort into this. And a lot of them died with, you know, some of them died without ever having a sighting. Right. Um, and that's kind of discouraging. It can get, uh, it can get a little discouraging sometimes when you're just like, man, what, you know, if they, those guys spent their lives doing it and, you know, I've only been doing it for you know, not even half the time as some of those guys, what can I expect, you know? Yeah. But, um, it seems like every time I get discouraged, I get some kind of carrot or something that's hung out in front of me <laughs> I'll, I'll get somebody. I'll be like, "Hey, I found these tracks over here," or I'll hear something or see something, and I'll kind of ignite it again, and I'm, I'll kind of get uh, motivated again to get out and 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 do it again. But yeah, it's it can be it's it's a weird hobby. Um, but I like to say, and I'm not, I didn't coin this phrase. I, I think I don't remember who did, but you know, best case scenario, I I have an encounter or find some evidence. Worst case scenario, I have a good time out in the woods camping and I can. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because it is, it's, it's intrinsically rewarding anyway, and probably really good for us <laughs> to get out there and look for it. But the thing that I think is, is incredibly, I, I, I think it would be incredibly intimidating is the idea of what would it be like to come face to face with something that's about eight or nine feet tall, four or five, six feet wide. And not happy to see you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I have a lot of people tell me, you know, because I'm like, oh, my goal is to have an encounter. I want to see one. I want to. Mm. And I have a lot of people say, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. And I understand where they're going with that. But at the same time, I mean, there's people that skydive. Sure. And I'll never do that. <laughs> I'd never jump out of a good airplane. I mean, everybody has their their threshold, right? Right. Everybody has their, you know, risk versus reward. And, uh as far as mine goes right now, you know, I think the risk is worth the reward. Uh, I might change that might change at some point in time. Uh, but yeah. at this point I still think it's worth it. But, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll never skydive. I'll never jump out of an airplane. That's sure. not, not worth it to me, you know? Right. Yeah. No, yeah. There, that's a good point. And I, and I think, uh, you know, just judging by the encounters that I've heard and, you know, my own that I was discussing with you, it seems like they don't – obviously, they, they're not actively pursuing people and to cause harm. I think that sometimes people get close and they'll get one of these displays, these threat displays in order to, you know, back the hell off. But I think, in, you know, in most most cases, 99% of the cases, they're they're more incidental. And, and if there is an encounter, it's just like, oh, get, you know, you need to move back and get away. And then they may pressure people, but – Obviously, they're not going out of their way to hurt people. So I think that that's, that's at least a good takeaway for most of these encounters. Yeah, I, I think, you know, ideally my dream encounter would be to, to have one, you know, walk across the trail or something in front of me, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet, maybe look at me and keep going. And then, you know, <laughs> I can turn around and go the other way. He's not in my, the direction that I need to go to get out of there. Um, <laughs> or maybe have one walk in front of my car at a pretty close distance and, uh, get it on my dash camera, which is something that anybody that's interested in this, I think they should have as a dash camera. And they're actually getting pretty affordable right now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a good piece of equipment to invest in. I think you're right. In fact, I think, I think probably the next Patterson-Gimlin film will be dash cam footage in broad daylight of some huge, you know, huge creature going in front of somebody's car. I think that you're absolutely right because it seems like at least a really high percentage of sightings are exactly that, people in cars, and they'll see one. I'm not too well versed on these new uh, electric vehicles that are coming out, but I believe 
the Tesla or some of the, maybe it's just some models of the Tesla mm -hmm. has a camera that records basically if the car is moving, it's recording. Oh, um, okay. I, I, I'm not, I'm now I'm somebody's probably going to call me on that and say, well, no, or it's only this model of car or it's only if sure. you have this setting enabled or something. But, but, uh, I think the more advanced vehicles get, I think probably, uh, most of them are going to have some kind of camera built in that, you know, we're not even gonna have to buy dash cameras. It's going to be a Hard. feature that, uh, is standard. Yeah. And that'll be good. So that when these, when these road crossings happen, then, you know, someone will be able to record it and, and present it as proof. Although I think, you know, the, the old argument is probably true that, you know, some people won't accept anything short of, uh, you know, physical body as, as far as proof, because no matter what you put out there in form of physical or of uh, photographic <coughs> or video proof, it's going to be, you know, scoffed yeah. at or, or disregarded. But, um, the, you know, it seems to me, and let me know what you think, Yeah, but I, I think these things pretty actively choose when they're seen. Like they have that ability. It's not like people are probably sneaking up on them at all. I think they just choose like, Oh, you know, I'm going to make myself known. Would you agree with that assessment? Yes. I think they're very well suited. I think that's one of the reasons why they're able to thrive. Like they do is that they're masters of their domain as far as like, that's their, specialty is mm -hmm. is stealth and i think if if they're seen i think it's probably more than likely by design yeah uh, i think a lot of times it's almost like the well like we were talking about jurassic park earlier it's uh it's the raptor effect if you see one he's probably over there to take take your attention away from you know yeah. so maybe some young ones or something over here mm -hmm. um i i think that's probably i mean it's all speculation i i have no idea I, i'll be the first person to i don't know anything about bigfoot Sure. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I know nothing. It's all, you know, theory and speculation. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that's a good assessment to f that we're here where we're at with the technology we have and the development that we've come along with as a society. And there's something like this that's out there and it's still undetected. I mean, I think it's probably, I mean, that's what it is born to do is be undetected. aliens do come and, and study us and abduct us, they would probably want to abduct Bigfoot too and take a look at them. So since you have a, a background in both the military and law enforcement, do you think, do you think that this is probably a foregone conclusion to both of those uh, entities that these things are out there? Or do you think that it's largely not regarded as being real? I'm, I'm a flesh and blood guy. Okay. Um, I, I am, I'm pretty, my theory is, is that there's some kind of either a, a undiscovered ape species or hominid or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that, it sure is easy to to grasp onto the concept that they're interdimensional or there may be the ghosts of, uh, you know, hominids that used to walk around. Mm. Uh, you know, that would sure explain a lot of things as to why, why we don't have a body, why, you know, they're seen as seldom as they are. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I mean, we've – we don't have anything else like that that we can – we've documented. Like right. there's no other – you know, we, we haven't caught any, and this is going to sound silly, but it's just, you know, we haven't caught any leprechauns. We haven't caught any, you know, <laughs> vampires or werewolves, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, so it just, it, it's hard for me to, to grasp onto that, that there's something that's not physical. Sure. When you have so many sightings and so many, uh, tracks found and physical evidence and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm not, and at the same time, I'm not saying like it's absolutely a hundred percent a physical being. That's what I think. Right. But it maybe it is. Maybe yeah. it is something more. Maybe it is some kind of a supernatural being. Uh, that would certainly explain why we haven't caught up with one. Right. But I'm just not there yet. I'm not to that point where I think it's uh, a magic monkey. I think it's probably something that's that's physical. Um, sure. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know anything about Bigfoot. I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm here for the I'm here for the sighting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, there, I mean, there seems to be. 
plenty of evidence that they eat, which would separate them from a lot of supernatural phenomena. Like they, they eat per, you know, perhaps they defecate too, as people claim to have recovered their droppings and such. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, hair samples that have been recovered that, uh, seem to indicate at least in, in, in some circles that they're, you know, they're leaving trace evidence, which would remove them from a lot of, a lot of, uh, supernatural phenomena. But, Perhaps there, you know, again, like you said, perhaps there's something more, but do you think there is official knowledge of these things or do you think it's just, uh, do you think that the, the government and, and so on and, and other like, uh, rangers and stuff are aware of them or do you think they're, you know, probably just more skeptical and need that further proof? Well, I think there's certainly, um, elements of the government that have encountered them. Okay. Um, I mean, I had a guy on my show, uh, a few months ago that was a former army ranger that talks about one that basically ran through their, um, ran through their base one night while they were out doing maneuvers. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's an amazing story. Uh, but again, at the same time, you know, it, it ran through the, the base. Everybody's like, what the hell was that? What the hell's going on? Nobody really like knew you know there didn't seem like to him there was really any cover-up or anything they were more perplexed than anything they were just like what the hell was that and what the hell's going on right and uh i think that's probably i don't i'm not a conspiracy believer as far as bigfoot goes sure i used to be pretty like i don't think there's conspiracies at all but i'm starting to maybe kind of come around the corner on that a little <laughs> bit but uh um, sure. you know i think in my experience because i've been i've worked for the government pretty much my entire life in one capacity or another mm-hmm. Uh, when I left, uh, the police department here, when I retired, you know, I was actually in a pretty high position and, you know, never once did anybody pull me aside or set me down and say, if somebody says they saw a Bigfoot, this is what you tell them, or this is, uh, you know, (laughs) you tell them they saw a bear, you tell them this or that. Um, you know, as far as I could tell, you know, when I was outed as being into Bigfoot, uh, you know, (laughs) most of the people, especially the higher ups just thought I was, you know. That's silly. You know, that's crazy. You know, I might as well have been out in the woods looking for Batman, you know, uh, it just, it didn't, it's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really think that there's an active cover up. I don't think that they really put that much effort into it. I think there are probably, um, like I said, elements of the government, like those Rangers and, you know, like mm-hmm. probably some, uh, forced, uh, workers, you know, I think if anything, they're in a, cover-up capacity it might be uh, with the logging industry oh okay but i don't think the government really plays that much in a row in it because i really don't think they care and right. you know i hear stories about like oh you know the the government tracks them and it's like if you can track if they can track bigfoot through the the force that we have here in north america why is there an fbi top 10 most wanted list <laughs> that's a good how point. the hell yeah yeah, yeah. or or you know, any number of, of things that they can't seem to find that they should be finding, but yet they're tracking Bigfoot. That's a good point. And I, and I think you're right. In the conspiracy circles, it's it's hard to even navigate that with any kind of uh, sensibility because there's so many claims out there. And it doesn't matter what happens. There's a conspiracy for it. And, and I, I'm, I'm with you that, you know, I think that there's merit to some of it to some degree, but it's anybody's guess what that means. You know, I, I don't pretend to know either. And I usually avoid that stuff just simply because I'm not educated enough to uh, either about it or about the world <laughs> world itself to uh, wager much of an opinion yeah. on it. But <clears throat> but I think that you know there there probably are um, potentially knowledge of them in in some circles. I think that's a great a great response to that because you know who can say and who would know and and I don't expect any kind of exp- uh, any kind of disclosure anytime soon for any of this if there is knowledge of it. I'm but I, I think we as a, as a community, the Bigfoot community mm-hmm. has, have kind of shot ourselves in the foot with oh. this a little bit okay, because of the, um, because of a lot of the stuff that's out there about Bigfoot, you know, you go up to somebody that's a respected scientist or a high ranking government official, you start talking about Bigfoot. Well, the first thing they're going to start thinking of is like, Oh God, Elvis and UFOs and you know, Bigfoot. <laughs> Yeah. And I think because a lot of that kind of stuff, that's what the media and the news and that's what a lot of the mainstream um, stuff latches onto is some of that more 
outlandish, unbelievable stuff. And I'm not saying, I mean, maybe, maybe Bigfoot does ride around a UFO with Elvis. I don't know. But, you know, if you go up to somebody in a, a respected position and start talking about, you know, hey, you know, I think maybe there might be an undiscovered primate in North America, you might get their ear. Yeah. And you might, you might, you might have their attention for a minute. But then you start talking, you start bringing up Bigfoot and then, you know, security is escorting you out because, sure. you know, they don't, they don't look for Elvis and UFOs here, sir. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think we've kind of, um, by letting that kind of stuff, uh, get out there and, and kind of take prevalence in a lot of the media and stuff, mainstream media and stuff that that's out there. I think maybe, uh, we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot with getting taken seriously by a lot of, uh, mainstream science and government agencies. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's true because, you know, there is no, there's not a lot of identifiers that are, that are given a lot of merit and weight from group to group because everybody has, you know, I don't mean group to group, but you know what I mean? Like the, the, there's prevailing theories out there of what this enigma is and, and they're, they're very disparate. So it's like one of them is a, a ghostly, supernatural, multidimensional thing. Another is uh, this creature, which is a, more of a primate. Another is, uh, you know, the relicomited, the, you know, the whole, the whole spectrum of those things. And, and along with a whole lot of ideas about what they do and what they are. And, and it, it, you're right, it's, it's uh, kind of a, a weird uh, culmination of thoughts and, and, and theories and I suppose you're right that that is off-putting to a lot of people that do dedicate themselves to the pursuits of science. But I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, what, you, what you just mentioned, you touched on it really, really quickly, but the whole idea behind the Bigfoot and flying saucer thing. And, and I, I, I found in my own ideas uh, regarding that, I think, I think you're right. I don't think that there's there, – obviously there's not enough – to take away a, a, a solid behavior from them or an identifier. But I think what we do know about them or would suggest to know from anecdotal evidence is that they seem to be extraordinarily curious. And cause people always see them looking in windows and, and uh, approaching camps to see what people are up to and stuff. So I imagine if these things are living in the forest as we believe they do and, and out there in the middle of nowhere, that once a bright shiny object with lights all over it came around they'd probably be pretty interested in what that is too. And so somebody sees a flying saucer and then the next thing they know there's a Bigfoot and they take these two very different things and put them, in, you know, into, well, it must've gotten out of the, out of the flying yeah. saucer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that, or, you know, if, if aliens do come and, and study us and abduct mm. us, they would probably want to abduct Bigfoot too and take a look at them. Yeah. You know, who's to say, okay, I saw a UFO and a Bigfoot was walking away from it. Well, you know, Maybe the Bigfoot didn't wasn't flying the UFO. Maybe they scooped him up and put a yeah. probe in, in him, you know, and yeah. then they're just let, letting him go. Yeah. Um, I think if if they're abducting humans, I think they probably abduct probably a lot of other things too. Yeah, that's that's very true, I, and that's a that's a great point. Um, yeah, that why wouldn't they uh, also investigate those things as part of the uh, biology of this planet? So that's a good point. Thanks for bringing that to the table. There's a lot of stories of what the natives call the Nantanak. Uh, a lot of the natives, they, they say it has uh, mystical powers. They'll say it can shape change, can uh, turn into mist. So you've been looking at these things for a while. Um, what experiences have you had personally? Well, my first... Uh, Kind of the the one that really lit me on fire. Um, it wasn't very remarkable, but I, it was it was kind of hard to explain. My wife and I uh, had gone out to an area where there had been some activity and sightings, and uh, we were walking around this lake. And uh, of course, you know, in true beans fashion, I had uh, <laughs> felt I had uh, stepped into a, a marshy area basically and got soaked up to my waist. Oh God. And uh, it was October and we're in Alaska. So I'm like, man, it, you know, it's a little chilly. So I think maybe we should cut our hikes work short and, uh, and, and go back to the car. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're walking back to the truck and, um, I'm just, you know, I'm miserable. I'm, you know, I'm in jeans. I'm wet. You know how it is when you're just like, I want to get back to the truck and get in dry clothes. 
And uh, I'm just charging through the the trail, trying to get back to the truck. My wife's behind me. She's got a walking stick. And um, we get almost back to the truck, uh, almost to the point where it's in sight. And I turn around to her and I go, hey, the truck's just up here. Because she doesn't know where we're at. You know, she's never been there before. I'd been there a couple times before. Mm -hmm. And I'd found a track. The reason I was out there this time is because, one, there had been some sightings in that area. And the first time I was out there, I'd found a track, just one single track pressed down into some um, some vegetation and it was pretty it was pretty uh impressive like it you could almost see like a, a toe the big toe oh. and it was looked like it was the shape of a right foot mm-hmm. and so that's why I was out there in the first place with her and so I was like well maybe we can find some more tracks or something right so I turned around and said hey we're almost to the truck it's almost right here and then as soon as I turned back around I heard boom 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 and the ground shook oh and I thought I'm like, is she, cause there's roots and stuff, you know, across the trail. And initially I thought she's hitting those roots with her stick, her walking stick. Mm-hmm. And I hear her go behind me. I'm like, did, she goes, did you hear that? And I'm like, what? Was that you? She goes, no, that wasn't me. I was like, you wouldn't hit the ground with your stick. And she's like, no. And it's, I mean, it sounded like, you know, thump, thump, thump. And the ground shook. Oh, wow. So it was close enough. You could feel it. And so it was, it, it was be- it was behind me, mm-hmm. so I you know, and so, which means it was behind her. So I walk around and I start walking towards the direction I heard it, and uh, I looked and looked. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. No moose. No bear. No moose sign. No bear sign. No tracks at all. And uh, that just really like I I can't explain. It. I don't know what it was. Um, and of course I was you know wet and cold and miserable, and I'm like. <laughs> I looked around as much as I could, and I was like, "We got to, we got to go. I got to get some dry clothes on." Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was kind of the thing where I was like, "Man, there's that was weird. Um, it just it didn't sound like a, a moose or a bear. Um, you know, I'm not Jeremiah Johnson. I don't <laughs> I don't know every sound in the woods. Sure. Uh, but I have lived in Alaska for about 20 years now. I'm I have moose and bear in my backyard all the time. I'm pretty familiar with them." Uh-huh. Uh, I don't think it was a moose or a bear. I don't know what it was. Uh, I even like at one point I was like, well, maybe there was like an eagle in a tree and it was like hitting a branch with its, I mean, I'm trying to like rationalize this and I, I cannot come up with a rational explanation for it. Wow. Uh, and it was just three, you know, thump, thump, thump. And I, I, I can't rationalize. I don't know what it was. So that kind of lit the fire. That was where like, okay, mm-hmm. You know, what was that? I got to, I got to figure this out. And, um, we had been out there, we went out there, not the same area, but an area close by. It's part of the same, um, nature preserve basically. And we were camping and I still, I was still, I wasn't brand new to it, but I was still fairly new. I was still getting my legs about me, you know? And, uh, we were tent camping and, me, her, and the two dogs are laying in the tent. It's like three o'clock in the morning, and somewhere off, way off in the distance, we hear a T Rex. Oh, wow! Uh, and it roars like three times. Uh, I, I'm like, Hey, do you hear that? And she goes, Yes. And like I said, she's born and raised here, sure. So I'm like, What is that? And she's like, I don't know. Oh, my god, and the dogs didn't react to it. They, they either didn't hear it or didn't react to it. And, uh, we didn't hear it again. And of course, like I said, I was a baby Bigfooter at that point. I didn't have any hype of recorder out right after that trip. I went out and bought a recorder. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, 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 I kick myself every time, uh, some, you know, the, the curse of Bigfoot, you know, <laughs> uh, but it was probably the craziest. I mean, it just sounded like, the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't a bear. Right. Uh, bears have a pretty distinct uh, vocalization, that, you know, a loud roar. You know, mm-hmm. they have a real guttural, almost like a Chewbacca sound to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one did not. It was a straight up, like, animalistic roar. And I uh, did it three times. And she heard it at least one of the three times. And she's, uh, you know, born and raised here. She has no idea what it was. Wow. And uh, history of sightings and activity in that area. So, uh, that, that was, that was another, you know, again, every, all these are, you know, it's just fuel to the fire for me, you know, like, what is it? What is it? What is it? (laughs) 
And, uh, of course then I run out and I buy more equipment cause I'm like, Oh, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have this, that I didn't have my thermal when I heard those thumps. So now I got to go out and get a thermal so I can scan the brush. And then I didn't have a recorder when I heard that, uh, vocalization. So now I got to go out and get a recorder. So every time I go out and something new happens, it's like spend money. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> that's, <laughs> there is a price tag, of course, uh, you know, attached to the yeah. research stuff, but is, is it, you know, when you think of the of the gravity of that, I mean, so there could have been within pretty close proximity to you both something so huge. I mean, is that is that kind of extraordinarily intimidating as it sounds? It, it's it sounded far enough away okay. that I wasn't. Oh, I wasn't like oh my god. I mean, if it had been closer, we would have probably been gone. But it <laughs> sounded like it was far enough away that I didn't feel like. We were in any danger, immediate danger. Sure. Uh, it was pretty, it was, you know, it was pretty far away. The area we were in, it was pretty uh, flat. So, you know, sound traveled quite a ways. Uh, it's a big open area with a lot of lakes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not open, but it's a big forested area with a lot of lakes. Oh. And, uh, you know, it's, it was way off in the distance. Man. And uh, we, we, you know, we didn't feel like we needed to pack up and, and get out right then and there. Uh, if it had been a little bit closer, we probably, we probably would have, I probably would have had to get out of the tent and, and look around. But, uh, at that time it was just like, what, you know, what is that? And we, neither one of us can identify it. It did it three times and we're just like, okay, it doesn't sound like it's getting any closer and it's not doing any more. So let's go back to sleep. <laughs> I'm always I always marvel at that. Uh, of course, doing the doing a paranormal show, we we often either just review uh, claims people have made or talk to people, and and how many people can be in situations like that that have to be absolutely terrifying, and yet you know you just get to the point where well I'm just going to go back to sleep. I don't know that I could, you know. Yeah. Well, when we were in, um, we had come into to Washington to film Bigfoot Encounters of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Uh, and we were out there with Will Ulmer and, you know, I've had, a, you know, a couple of things happen up here in Alaska, some vocalization, found some tracks, mm-hmm. heard those noises. Uh, you know, we had some stuff when we went out to Port Chatham, but this place that he took us to, I mean, it was, there was stuff going on all the time, you know, like we're, unpa- we, we pull up, we're unpacking the truck. There's like tree knocks and stuff. And it's kind of like. Like you're, you're, you're trying to set up camp and you're hearing like tree knocks and vocalizations and you're like, well, do I, do I, do I stop? You know, yeah. should I, should I like go, <laughs> like, what do I do? Like, do I, do I need to go run into the woods and look for that now? Or do I just right. keep setting up camp? And I asked him at one point, cause it was just so much steady activity. I finally just asked him, I'm like, dude, is there a point where you just like get inoculated with it? You're just like, ah, you just, <laughs> it doesn't bother you anymore. You're just like, oh, there's more knocks and whatever. And keep uh-huh. sipping your beer or whatever. Like. I think there's a certain point, you know, when I was in law enforcement, they talk about stress inoculation mm-hmm. uh, where you see, you know, you'll see somebody go through something like somebody will um, try and hurt them or, you know, there's some kind of big brawl or something. And then, you know, one of the police officers is just like, all right, I'm going to go about my day now and just, you know, brushes it off like nothing happened. And I think, uh, you know, there's the human body can get used to all kinds of stress. And I think that's probably, uh, especially for people that do this quite a bit, it's something that you just eventually you get used to. Yeah. Uh, you're like, you know, okay, that's a strange noise. Does it, is it sound close? Does it sound threatening? No. Okay. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, you know, uh, or, you know, we're going to go look for it or whatever, but yeah, it, it was kind of, it's kind of bizarre how you just finally, you're just like, I don't, it's, it's too far. It sounds like it's too far away for me to go find it. <laughs> I mean, I can sit here and stare off into the distance for a while. And if it doesn't do it again, I'm going to go back to cooking my lunch, you know, or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the thing. You got to wonder that I think, I think they're acutely aware of whenever we're in the area. Like they just know their, their environment so well that they know the minute people enter the forest or enter uh, close to them. and, And it might just be simply because they, they know the sounds that are normal and they know the ones that aren't normal or they know the behavior of the fauna of the area. And when that changes as a result of some presence, like, you know, for instance, I think crows are, are a huge possible indicator for these things because crows are obnoxious. You know, they'll just, you know, whenever they're uptight about something. So, uh, you know, when, when they do things like screaming and, and thumping and, and stuff, I think, 
that a lot of times, I mean, the wood knocks, I think, probably are some sort of locator, you know, to the to the members that are there of their clan or family group or whatever. But I think that you know a lot of these activities are are just extraordinarily intimidating by design. Like you know, the roars in the distance that's got to be horrible because. One, you don't know what's making that sound. And not only do you not know what's making it, you don't know what it's, you know, what it's going to do after that sound. You know, that's the part I think that I would be struggling with. It's like, okay, is that like, hey, come and get it? The <laughs> the tent ta- <laughs> the tent tacos are ready, you know, kind of thing. Or uh, you know, what does it mean? Or is that how they do the war cry and then come in on you or what? But um also, you know, they they seem to be like I, I think masters of psychology in that sense. Like there, there definitely seems to be, you know, as in being in law enforcement, you're acutely aware of like the use of force continuum. Like you start here and then you escalate as the as the you know situation warrants it. And it seems to be a, a similar kind of escalation with what people experience when they're in an area that they don't want you in. Like it starts out uncomfortable, but they 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 continually do things. I think. And this is just me on the outside looking in. I, again, I'm not an active researcher, but it seems like they escalate their behaviors in order to keep people uncomfortable. And then they, they progressively become more like it might be pebbles first and then it's pine cones and then it's large rocks landing near you and stuff like that. There just seems to be this psychology that they use, which would to me indicate a, a profound intelligence. Yeah. I can't remember who I heard use the term rules of engagement. Mm but they seem to have like a, a sort of rules of engagement where they, you know, they, they have a, a use of force continuum basically where they'll go through, okay, well let's, you know, throw some rocks at them. If that doesn't scare them off, then we'll rattle, you know, shake some trees. If that doesn't scare them off, then we'll start screaming. If that doesn't scare, you know, it escalates. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times you hear about like, well, you know, we didn't hear anything the first night, second night we heard something third night, all hell broke loose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting around camp and just all of a sudden a squirrel, you know, start barking <laughs> and then another squirrel a little bit further, you know, mm-hmm. down the tree line from that squirrel start barking and then another one will start barking. And it's like, okay, are they barking at each other? Are they barking at something else? What are, what are they barking at? Right. And, uh, you mentioned crows. I had a gentleman on my podcast, um, I can't remember if it was last year, year before last. I think it was called Bethel Bigfoot or something like that. Okay. He was going down a river on a boat and he saw one on the bank and he says there was a crow like flying around. He says he didn't know if they were connected or if they had anything to do with one or the other, but he said that he saw a Bigfoot stand on the side of the, the bank, the river bank, and there was like a crow kind of hanging around it. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. You got to wonder, are they, you know, do they have their own pets and stuff in in the regard of like crows and uh, of other animals. Yeah. Well, wolves and, and ravens will work together and, and, oh, sure. you know, so, I mean, it's, it's not, it's certainly not an unknown concept in, in the, you know, in the wild. So, right. No, I think that's, that's, you know, that's a fair takeaway, but, um, I do want to give you a chance to, first of all, talk about your show and talk about your book before we're done here. Because, um, I, as I said, I haven't read your book yet, but I, I, of course I've seen you speak, I've talked to you and I find your presentation was absolutely brilliant up at Medellin Falls. And, and I know you drew from some of what was in the book there, but, uh, would you please bring, bring us up to speed on those things? Sure. So Port Chatham is a, it's, it's not actually from where I'm sitting here and talking to you right now. It's like 40 miles that way. Okay. Um, it's not very far away at all, uh, but it is extremely difficult to get to. Uh, you have to go outside Catchmack Bay. You have to go what they call around the corner uh, into the real ocean, so you're not in the protected bay. Uh, so you have to have a rather good-sized boat uh, to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be rather expensive to rent a, a good-sized boat to haul all your equipment and everything you need out there. Uh, it's also it's owned by a native corporation. It's native land, so I, you know, I like to preface if any, you know, I hear a lot of people all the time. Oh, one of these days I'm going to Port Chatham. One of these days I'm going to Port Chatham. Hey, more power to you. Good luck, but please get permission before you go because it is private property. Oh, okay. um, but I was approached in 2018 by Stephen Major with Extreme Expeditions. Um, 
and he was like, Hey, I'm want to, I want to go to Port Chatham. I want to film a documentary and, uh, I want you on the team. Um, you know, cause I'm local. I, you know, I'm familiar with the wildlife. Uh, I was centrally located here right next to Port Chatham. You know, I had weapons available so I could pull security for the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was just, you know, it was kind of a mutual, I would get to go and then they would get, you know, the benefits of having me along. Sure. So, uh, it was a mutually, uh, exclu- uh you know, beneficial arrangement. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he asked me to go out there with him and, um, we went out there in September 2018, and we filmed. Oh, geez, I don't, I don't remember if it was like three. I think it was three days. Uh, we filmed there. Uh, we didn't stay on the ground. We would go back to the the boat every night and uh, and stay. We didn't have enough people in our group to pull like a 24 hour security on the camp, and that was one of the reasons why we're like, we just, we didn't feel comfortable staying on the ground. Plus the weather was kind of crappy. I mean, it rains a lot. Mm. Um, so we would have to go back to the boat and get dry clothes and, and eat and stuff like that. Plus there's a lot of bear activity in the area, mm. but, um, the, I'll, I'll back up a little bit and tell you about the history of Port Chatham, why we were going there in the first place. Uh, there was a small fishing village there, named Portlock. And a lot of people, basically you can use Portlock and Port Chatham interchangeably. Um, mm. and the locals will know what you're talking about. Uh, I've got a lot of historical documents from the area, uh, like bills of sale of deeds and stuff like that. And they seem to use the names interchangeably. There didn't really seem to be a, you know, you have to call it this or you have to call it that Portlock, Port Chatham. Everybody knew where you're talking about. Okay. Um, it was a small fishing village. It was founded in the early 1900s. And they did a lot of um, halibut fishing there. You know, Homer, the Catchamac Bay is the halibut fishing capital of the world. And uh, they had a big uh, cannery built there. They had, um, what do you call it? They had um, cold storage. It was one of the first uh, cold storage plants that was uh, built on the Kenai Peninsula. Uh, They had like, I think they could handle like 20,000 pounds or something like that, a halibut, which was a massive amount at the time. I mean, you got to figure this was, this was in the early 1900s. They didn't have refrigerators, you know, they couldn't just plug in the refrigerator and and make ice. They had to, to ship it up here from outside. Okay. And uh, in the summertime anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, there was a, it was a year round occupied village. There was always people there. Uh, Mostly the cannery employed the local natives. And, you know, for the first few decades, it seemed like everything was going pretty good. Uh, then when you start hitting uh, the 30s, 1930s, uh, some things start kind of going. You, you start hearing uh, rumors about mysterious deaths, people going missing, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of um, it kind of led to this place having like an ominous uh, reputation and there's a lot of stories of what the natives call the Nantanak, which is their the, the local natives. That's what their version of Bigfoot is. Um, some of depending on kind of who you talk to, uh, a lot of the natives they they say it has uh, mystical powers. They'll say it can shape change. Uh, you know, it can uh, turn into mist. It can you know do all kinds of crazy things. It can mimic people. Uh, it follows a lot of other similar native beliefs with similar uh, legends of hairy men, stuff like that. They, there's a, it kind of parallels the Wendigo a little bit as to where mm. uh, there are like lost natives that will turn into Nantanok. Sure. If they're out in the woods. Okay. And uh, so it, it shares a lot of similarities with other Bigfoot like legends. Uh, it's generally considered a, a bad omen. It's it's not considered a good thing. You know, they say if you're out in the woods and you hear whistling, um, you should turn around, and go the other way. You know, just don't don't bother it. Uh, they don't like to even talk about it. Uh, they think they feel like to 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 say, even say the word Nantanok to to mention it was to draw it to you, to draw attention to yourself. Uh, I think if that was the case, I would have already been taken away by one <laughs> as much as I've talked about it. So sure. I don't really think that's a, a concern, uh-huh. or maybe it doesn't want me. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, so they have this legend of the Nantanok here in the, in the Port Lock, Port Chatham area. Uh, you've got people going missing. There were hunters that went up into the woods and went missing. 
You've got um, gold miners that went missing. Uh, and then you have the tale of Andrew Kamluck, who was found dead. And they say he was found dead, crushed by a big piece of logging equipment that was too heavy for a man to lift. Ooh. So, and keep in mind, all this was before uh, Alaska was a state. This was in the 1930s. So I, you know, I started hearing about all this stuff and I was really intrigued by it. And I really started looking into it because I was like, man, this would, this is a great, this is, it sounds like some kind of, um, like a Stephen King story or something, this small isolated Alaska village. And you've got this creature basically terrorizing the townspeople. And so I really kind of dug, dug into it. Um, and I tried, I tried to use like a lot of my, um, like if I was a cop, well, I mean, I was a cop, but like as a cop and I'm trying to like dig into this case and, and get proof, I guess that, you know, this stuff was happening. What would I do? So I started looking for death certificates, stuff like that. Uh, unfortunately, as I said, this was before statehood. So there wasn't a lot of good record keeping going on. And plus the town eventually was abandoned Mm -hmm. and I don't know where a lot of those records went. Um, I was trying to find the death certificate for Andrew Kamluck. And I ended up talking with a nice lady at the state records department in Juneau. Uh, Juneau is on in Southeast Alaska. It's pretty far away. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, hard to get to, mm-hmm. uh, I'd have to get on a plane and fly there to get there. Oh wow! And <laughs> so they have people that work in the records department that will help you, um, to look for records remotely. So I had a nice lady helping me and, uh, she looked for several days and she contacted me back she says, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I cannot find his death certificate. I don't know where it could be. She goes, you might try looking at the Homer police department and which was hilarious because I worked there and I'm like, lady, I can tell you, we don't, it's not there. Like she didn't know that I worked there at the time. And I'm okay. just like, no, I don't think that's going to be work. I don't think that's going to work. Sure. Um, but I did find confirmation that Mr. Kamluck did exist. Um, okay. I, I found, uh, his son's death certificate actually. Uh, but I didn't find his Mr. Kamluck's death certificate, so I can't collaborate his manner of death. Um, oh, okay. it, that would have been for me, as a, from an investigative standpoint, that would have been like the the cherry on top if I could have found his death certificate and his manner of death was blunt force trauma to the head or something like that. Yeah. It wouldn't have proven that he was killed by the Nantanok, but it sure it wouldn't have hurt right. the the story either. Uh, so I wasn't able to confirm that, but it's, you know, it's a pretty well-known tale around here, around the native villages. Right. And then, um, you know, as far as the other missing people go, mm-hmm. uh, it, there's a lot of talk about it. I can't, I can't tell you how many people went missing. Uh, I know for sure the one gold miner did. Uh, the hunters, I have no idea. Um, okay. you know, I, I can just say for the reputation a place has, my best estimate is, you know, more than one or two, Okay, (laughs) you know, for it to get that kind of reputation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there was almost, uh, almost kind of like a skinwalker vibe, skinwalker ranch vibe, uh, for the place going on, you know, a lot of, not just Nantanak, uh, you know, ghosts, uh, a lot of other weird things Mm -hmm. going on there. And, um, it seemed to just have a a heavy air of, uh, uh, not a good vibe there. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, they had some uh, bad luck with uh, fires and some things got uh, destroyed. Uh, a lot of integral parts of town got destroyed. And eventually by 1950, the town, everybody was just gone. And okay. I think a lot of it gets blamed on the Nantanok and the, the, the murders and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, from my research, from what I found, I think that it was mostly due to economic reasons. Oh, um, okay. I, I think that mostly the town was abandoned because of uh, a lot of the damage that was incurred by the fire. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't mean a lot of people will say, oh, okay, well, then the story of Port Chatham, you know, is, is bu- it's debunked. It's, 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 there's nothing sure. to it. That's not true because there's a lot of sightings and activity going on there. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of stuff that um, mirrors – a lot of other Bigfoot activity that you hear about in other places. Uh, and this was, you know, they're talking about stuff up here that was happening in the, in the thirties that 
wouldn't even hit the lower 48 until, you know, the, the fifties and sixties oh, okay. when, when the Bigfoot craze hit, you know, <laughs> uh, that was going on up here. I mean, it wasn't a Bigfoot craze. People weren't necessarily going out and looking for it, but it was happening up here before it was even a thing in the lower 48 really were, you know, sure. before Patterson, Gimlin film, any of that stuff, all this, all that kind of stuff was going on up here. We were having sightings and people were scared of it and finding tracks and finding mysterious moose kills, stuff like that. Hmm. And, um, it's, it's pretty impressive when you think about it because it was all going on before really the Bigfoot craze kind of before Bigfoot was in the zeitgeist of the American, uh, attention span back then. So, uh, (laughs) it's kind of interesting when you think about it. And then, so the town basically was abandoned. Uh, they left a lot of the equipment there. Uh, A lot of the stuff, I mean, they just didn't have the means, I guess, to get a lot of it out of there. Sure. And uh, they just left it. And occasionally, you know, it's not quite the the uh, no man's land that a lot of people portray it to be. People do go in there occasionally and hunt. Um, a lot of boats will go in there and seek shelter. It's a pretty well-protected bay. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, nobody lives there. Uh, I don't know that people spend a lot of time there. And it's pretty – depending on who you talk to, it's, it's, it's pretty evenly split at the people that will say, well, you know, no, there's nothing going on there. It just has a bad reputation. And there's other people that will be like, no, my uncle saw the Nantanok there a few years ago. You know, if you go there, you're going to die. Oh. So <laughs> uh, it's kind of, it kind of depends on who you ask. As sure. to, you know, you might, somebody might tell you, yeah, that's a good place to go hunt. And another person will tell you, if you go in there, you're going to die. So, <laughs> so you find that uh, most of the, most of the local natives do, tend to stay away from there though yeah okay yeah i I would say that it's it's not uh definitely not a bustling hub of activity i think uh Mm -hmm. you see probably a lot of white guys go up there and hunt i don't know that the natives hunt in there a lot okay um i've seen some of them go in there in the bay and fish and stuff but i haven't i can't say that i've ever seen any of them go in there and hunt yeah that's um, that's incredible now when you were there did you find that vibe uh, as well when you were there in person so we went twice. We went in 2018 and we went back in 2019 to film for the Alaska Triangle. Okay. Uh, when I left in 2018, I was in love with that place. I thought, man, I want to buy some property here and build a cabin and I want to come out here and live off the land and look for the Nantanok. That was like, that's what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't get a creepy vibe from it at all. I mean, there were a couple of times while we were out and we were looking around. I was like, oh, it's, it's, a, little, it's a little weird out here, but I never got the feeling that I was in any kind of peril. Right. Okay. Uh, the second time we went back in 2019 and we were leaving. I was like, I don't ever want to come back here again. This place is <laughs> trying to kill me. Oh, um, okay. And it wasn't so much, uh, we had some weird stuff happen, but the weather, man, it was just weird. Uh, we went in as soon as we got there, they had great weather on the way out there, got out there. As soon as we pulled into port Chatham, weather turned to crap. Uh, the whole time we were there, the weather was crap. <laughs> Every time we would okay, you know, there's a break in the weather. Let's get our gear on and go ashore. As soon as we would start to go ashore, the weather would get worse. It oh. was, you know, the first couple of times it was kind of a joke, like, oh, look, you know, the weather's getting worse. Just as soon as we, like, <laughs> get in the Zodiac to go ashore. Sure. And by, like, the fifth or sixth time it had happened, we're like, this place trying to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it was too, it seemed like it was happening too often to be a coincidence. Sure. Wow. That's fascinating. And now your book is available through Amazon, correct? You can get it uh, from Amazon. You can also get it from my website, alaskwatchpodcast.com. If you order it from there, uh, I can autograph it for you. Fantastic. So, Very yeah. good. And and where can people find the, the podcast? Uh, it's available pretty much on any podcatcher, uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, just anywhere. I okay. I throw it up on YouTube as well, um, but okay. it usually doesn't go up on YouTube till uh, a few hours after it hits the podcatchers. Okay, so and that YouTube channel is Alasquatch as well. A L A S Q U A T C H. Yep. Oh, perfect. Well, brother, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I love talking about Alaska. I love talking about Bigfoot. Yeah, me too. Me too. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back and, and uh, uh, maybe we'll see you in the, in the, the, the circuit uh, of conferences as well. I know that was a lot of fun to hang out with you guys uh, and hopefully we'll have more time to talk next time we meet. Yeah, I hope so, man. I don't have 
anything set in stone except for Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference in July. Oh, okay. Uh, I've got family in that area, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go hit that. But uh, I don't have anything on the West Coast yet. But I'm still open. I know Stephen will be throwing something together. <laughs> yeah, there'll be something going on. All right, Beats. Thanks again, brother. All right. Thanks for having me. Anytime, man. Anytime. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Paranormal Portal Radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows, Journeys into the Paranormal Portal. So I hope you'll check it, check it out, guys. We're over there at YouTube.com slash Paranormal Portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day. And remember to laugh as much as you can. 